Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Good afternoon. This is Sandra and Julie, and today we have Laurie Coombs, and we're excited because we've been speaking with her for maybe nine months ago. We got her book, and her book, she's going to be telling you all about it, is Letters from My Father's Murderer, and this truly is a journey of forgiveness. Lori, we're going to introduce you, let you tell all about yourself, and you just take it over now. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, and yeah, so so I did write uh, my book called Letters from My Father's Murderer, A Journey of Forgiveness. And, and while, you know, my story does have murder in it, ultimately, it's not a story about murder. It's a story about forgiveness and redemption and what God really can do with our losses. While there is You know, it is a story about my dad and what happened to my dad. It's ultimately a story of forgiveness and redemption, what God can really do with our losses. So um, quite honestly, I never thought that it was possible to see anything, any good come out of my past. Now, that's not to say that that, um, I had given up all hope for my future, but I honestly thought that if I was going to see anything good come out of my past, that it would be um, in spite of my past not as a result of it, if that makes sense. And, and I do have a difficult story. It's, like I said, one that involves murder, but it is a story about salvation and redemption and forgiveness, learning what true forgiveness looks like, because there's worldly forgiveness as well. You know, we, we hear good things about forgiveness, um, but, but it's about trading in that bitterness for joy. It's about finding that freedom and, and really the grace and the mercy and the healing and the forgiveness and that really can only be given by Jesus. So, you know, I remember sitting at a park um, after my dad's funeral when I was 20 years old, and I just was wrestling, really, really, really just wrestling. I was so unbelievably angry and confused, and I, I honestly just did not know what had happened, you know, because ultimately I came from this incredible family, and I thought things like this don't happen so people like me, I mean, we didn't live in a terrible part of town. We lived in a very small town. And, and so it was very confusing to me because I had a wonderful childhood and my parents were married for 23, 24 years or something. Um, and they did end up getting divorced when I was 15, but I had a wonderful upbringing. And so I was sitting there just very, very confused. And I was angry mostly at Anthony, the man who killed my dad. But, but it was more than that, honestly. Um, I remember just I remember watching the news coverage of what had happened. And this was, you know, the day and days after, after the murder. And I just was so, um, it just rocked my world, to be honest, to, to know that this was a story that was about me. And I thought about how many times other people, or myself, excuse me, had, had watched other news stories, news coverage of, some tragedy and I thought to myself oh my gosh that's that's really sad but it didn't impact me significantly and then I would kind of just go about my life as normal and I knew that other people were were doing that very thing in that moment yet my entire existence had changed you know I was confronted with this evil um, that I really didn't even 
no. I mean, I knew it existed, but it was just not reality to me, if that makes sense. And I just thought about that, how many other people are watching this right now, and they're just going to be able to go about their life as normal, but I wasn't able to do that. And that was just so unbelievably hard. Um, and I was a mess. I was such a mess. But ultimately, after a period of time, I really just felt like, you know what, I I can't live like this forever. I can't continue to be this mess. I need to move on with my life. My dad would want me to live a normal life, you know. And so I kind of just pulled myself up by those proverbial bootstraps and decided to to move on. And I kind of unintentionally put on this mask. You know, it's those the, the masks that, that a lot of people wear where you walk out the door and you have this little happy mask on and people say, how are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm good, you know, but inside you're just not. You're not okay. Um, but we moved on. I, I moved on. I say we because I um, ended up getting married a year after that. I'd been dating my boyfriend, um, who is now my husband, for four years. And we decided to get, in, get married a year after my dad had died. I started my career as a high school teacher. Um, and then we decided to have children. And I decided to stay home and be a stay-at-home mom, which is one of the best decisions I've been able to make. Um, it's just such an honor and and privilege to be able to do that. So, um, so I stayed home with my with my girls. I had my two older daughters, and and honestly, people started looking at me, and they were just like, they would say, "Lori, I don't know how you do it. You're so strong. I mean, you you got through all that stuff with your dad. I had complications during my first pregnancy, and so um, we made it through that. And people would say, I don't even know how." you do this. Now, I do have to say at this time, I was a non-believer. So I did not have faith in Jesus. I did not have, I didn't even know if God existed, to be honest. I was just in this place where I had no idea. <laughs> and I really, I was never, um, I was never an atheist, I would say, but I was definitely in this place where I could not say for certain whether or not there was a God. So that's where I was in this place. And so I was completely relying upon myself and, you know, my own brute strength. Um, and so, so as I said, I, I was getting these accolades. People were saying these things. Some people were even starting to call me the bionic woman. And I, they started getting to me. All of these thoughts started getting to me. And I was like, you know what? I am strong. <laughs> it's so terrible. But I just thought, I am strong. I am so strong. I have gotten myself through a lot of really difficult things. And you know what's interesting about this is that, you know, pride does truly come before the fall because <laughs> it was shortly after that that I was completely and totally brought to my knees. So this was about nine years after the murder, and I started having some health issues. Um, I felt nauseous. It started with nausea and headaches, and I felt kind of dizzy, and I was thinking, well, maybe I'm pregnant again, you know, and so I took a pregnancy test. Sure enough, that came back negative, and so I, I didn't even believe that test, so I went to my doctor, and he, he confirmed, no, you are not pregnant, you know, and then there were other things that started happening. My heart started doing some weird things. I ended up in the ER a couple of times feeling like I was maybe having a heart attack. Um, I had digestive issues and I couldn't think straight. You know, I felt like my brain was constantly in this foggy place. And on one of the most difficult and scary parts of it is that I really felt out of touch with reality. I felt emotionally detached from others. And that was so, so difficult because here I am with these two healthy um, little girls and an incredible husband, and yet I was in this place where I, I was just 
finding myself more and more detached, which was terrible because we didn't want to be detached. But um, it was right about that time, you know, I saw doctor after doctor trying to figure out what was wrong with me and there was nothing physically wrong with me. So ultimately what it was, what they, what they determined is that I was exhibiting physical symptoms of anxiety. And so, but I didn't know, I didn't know what that really was. I mean, you know, I had heard about anxiety before, but it was always just kind of this thing where I just thought it was like, maybe you're a little more fearful or something like that. But, but anxiety can be totally and completely debilitated. I started having panic attacks, and this was not like me at all. I was always the, the outgoing one who really didn't have too much fear at all, but but all of a sudden, I'm having these, these anxiety attacks. I didn't want to leave the house. I was afraid to go to a Christmas dinner. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And so I didn't know what was going on. And, and I just tried. I was trying everything, trying really everything to get better. And that's when the depression started coming in as well, because I just felt like I was at a loss. And I honestly felt like I was starting to go crazy. And I didn't know what was where this was going to lead, if this would lead me to a mental health facility or something scary like that. I mean, it just terrified me, absolutely terrified me. And like I said, I tried everything to get better, but nothing works. I tried all the worldly solutions. I tried eating better, exercising more. I tried yoga. I tried um I tried a stress management class. Um, I tried meditation and I even thought about going to a Buddhist retreat. And this is funny. So I actually, <laughs> the reason I didn't go to this Buddhist retreat was because it actually fell on Easter weekend. <laughs> so I decided, you know what? No, I'm not going to go to that because it was on Easter, but it wasn't because of Jesus. It was because I had two little girls and it was about, you know, the Easter bunny and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, is, is far from, from where I am now. But, but that's why I didn't go. But, you know, God is just funny. He's just humorous. And, and that's why I wasn't at that Buddhist retreat. So um, and, and after trying literally everything that I possibly could try, um, I was not getting better. And I just felt like I was going down one rabbit trail after another. And I could not solve this on my own. It was the first time I was really presented with something that I couldn't fix that wasn't explainable to me. I couldn't just pull myself up by those bootstraps anymore. And so finally, I called my girlfriend, Sarah, and she was the only, um, I, God did surround me with Christians, but she was the only one who was actually going to church. So I called her up and I said, hey, can you tell me about your church? And she told me about this incredible church up in Northwest Reno and from Reno, Nevada. And um, I ended up there the next weekend. And you know what's so amazing about that? is that God was truly my last hope. He truly was the last one that I turned to, but yet he met me right where I was, absolutely right where I was. And I was there, you know, I, I completely was terrified going in there, <laughs> which sounds kind of silly, but, but you know, growing up Catholic, I, I grew up Catholic and I turned away from from the church when I was 15 years old. Um, and I really was just kind of in this place where, like I said, I was kind of in this place of where I was agnostic, but I truly never did know God. So I, I sat before God most weekends um, growing up, but I truly did not know him. Now, I do believe that you can know Jesus in the Catholic church for sure, but but I just felt all that I saw were rules and rigid prayer and all of that kind of stuff. And ultimately, what I, was, what I was rejecting when I rejected God when I was 15, what I was really just 
leaving behind was religion because it all just seemed like an elaborate hoax. And ultimately, religion in, its, uh, in and of itself, apart from relationship with Jesus, is. It's not the real thing. See, I, I did not even realize that, that, there was, that there was even, that God was offering me something far greater than I could have even imagined. He was offering me a relationship with, with himself. And I couldn't even conceive of that at that time. So I was never opposed to having faith. And honestly, there were times when people would say, you know what, Lori, why don't you just have faith? And I, and I would honestly get a little bit angry and I would say, you know what, it's not that I don't want faith. I would love to have faith. It seems like that would be easier to have faith, which, you know, is not necessarily always the case. But but I just didn't see any proof. But as I sat there in church that first time um, up at Grace Church, when I sat there, God did something that I never could have even imagined that was possible. And basically, he showed up. He absolutely showed up. The preacher was preaching on exactly what I was dealing with in that moment. And I thought to myself, the sheer probability of this alone is crazy. Now, I'm not a numbers person, but I knew that it was crazy, you know. And, um, and I was given proof over and over and over. God would just do one thing after another after another. And things that we might call, um, what do you call it, like uh, – just kind of coincidences. And he would do these coincidences. And there were just far too many of them to call them a coincidence any longer. And I began to no longer believe in coincidence. Instead, I, I rejected that in favor of, you know, the providence of God, because that is what this is. You know, it's his providence, and he's, he's in control of all things, and he was showing himself to me. And there was so much of that proof that he gave me that ultimately there was no other explanation but that Jesus is truly who he says he is. And I gave my life to Christ. Now, shortly after that, um, well, right at, at that moment, I began to just pursue Jesus with literally all that I had, all that I had. And I changed like so unbelievably rapidly that the people around me were like, what in the world? Now, I do have to say that that, wasn't, that was a work of God that he did in me, but he lit a fire in me that caused me to literally just pursue him, like I said, with everything that I had. I was, if I wasn't reading scripture, I was listening to worship music or listening to podcasts of sermons, just trying to soak every bit of truth in that I possibly could. And as, as truth just kind of washed over me, I completely and totally transformed. So um, I had changed. But, you know, the world tells us that time heals all wounds, but it's simply not true. See, time only dulls the pain. God is the one God is the one who can truly heal. Nobody else can, and time certainly can't do that. I mean, I had been waiting for time to do its job for close to a decade at this point, and it did not happen. So I was saved, but I was still in this place of brokenness. And my brokenness was exhibiting itself as irritability. I really felt like I was completely at the mercy of my emotions. I felt ugly, and I just questioned, like, why, God? I don't understand this. I mean, I looked at myself and my own heart, and it wasn't lining up with Scripture. And so I, I prayed and I said, God, what is this? And he started to show me that it was anger. But, but you know, the thing is, is that I didn't always feel angry on the outside. I felt irritable. But it, I wasn't always angry on the outside. But what he had showed me is that that anger had really just taken such a deep root inside of me that it, be, it had become bitterness. Now, I have to tell you that it is so unbelievably humbling when God shows that you've become like the very people that you don't like. As a non-believer, I used to say there were certain people in my life that were truly bitter, and I just would look at them and I'd say, they are so bitter. That is so unbelievably ugly. And then 
I had become that person. And it was so terrible. (laughs) So I cried out to the Lord and I said, this isn't okay with me. I don't like myself. I don't want to be this person. Can you please, please change me? And that's when I felt him just kind of tell me, Lori, it's time to forgive. But then he took it a step further and he said to love my enemy. I was actually reading a Billy Graham book at the time. And uh, he, in there, he was, Billy Graham wrote about loving your enemy. And I knew exactly, I, I mean, I just knew in my heart exactly what God was telling me to do. So I cried out to God and I said, God, okay, I get this whole forgiveness thing. That was something that I had always wanted to do because like I said earlier, even the world, even in worldly circles, we hear about forgiveness and the benefits of forgiveness. But, but I did not, did not want to love my enemy. I mean, the, the same, having the word love in the same sentence as my enemy or even, you know, the, specifically the name Anthony was repulsive to me. I mean, it just didn't even feel right. But I began to just wrestle with what God was calling me to. I began to really, really wrestle and I began to see that, you know what, Jesus is our Redeemer. He is absolutely our redeemer. And, and understanding God's heart towards me allowed me to follow him. And I was scared. I was absolutely scared. But ultimately, I knew that I had allowed fear to motivate me for far too long, far too long. I mean, there's good fear and bad fear. There's that good fear that, that says, don't touch that stove because it will burn you. That's a good fear. God has given us the emotion of fear for, for a good reason, to keep us safe. But it can also be something that is uh, manifest in a bad way that can ultimately hold us back from the things that we are truly called to do in order to see the full life that Jesus has died to give us. And so I began to just realize, like, you know what, I need to just do this scared. I need to do it scared. And every day, I remember saying, I can choose. I wrote it on a piece of paper, and I had it by my bed. I said, every day, I can choose to either live by faith, or I could choose to live by fear. And I, so every day, I would say, no, I choose to live by faith. You see, the Christian life is not a life of passivity. I began to see that more and more as I began to read Scripture, that faith is a, is a verb. You know, we need to actually be doing our faith, not just being passive and have a mere belief system. But that belief system really truly needs to change the way that we think and feel and, and what we do. It needs to change our actions. So I really spent most of the night um, when God called me to, to love my enemy in prayer, asking for grace, asking for for God to show me what it is that he's calling me to do. And I began to ask, well, what is it that he's really calling me to do anyway? And I began to see that he's, he's merely calling me to give what I had received. I thought to myself, who am I to withhold forgiveness and love for my enemy when it has been so graciously given to me? You know, I think that C.S. Lewis, said it so well. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you and me. And so not to mention the fact that scripture also tells me that I was once an enemy of God prior to coming to Christ. So God loves his enemies. He's calling us to do what he does himself. You know, we look to Jesus dying on the cross and when we just had um, Easter, I don't know when this is going to air, but we just literally had Easter and Good Friday and Jesus is nailed to that cross. And he says, 
Father, forgive them if they know not what they do. He is literally being hung on that cross. He is in the process of being murdered by the people who are surrounding, surrounding him. And he doesn't wait till he's all warm and fuzzy inside. He doesn't wait until he's feeling, you know, happy about, about forgiving them. I guarantee he was not up there happy about what was happening. However, he chose forgiveness while he was in the process of being murdered. He chose to forgive the perpetrators. And that's the example that every one of us is to follow. But ultimately, you know, forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. Scripture tells us in in Colossians 3.13, it says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And so it's something that we have to do. And it may seem harsh, but it's a command, but we know who God is. We know that God is not just loving because he is that. He is a loving God. But he, scripture tells us that God is love. He, that's, that's a complete embodiment of one of his character attributes. So when we understand that, when we have an understanding of who God is, we, can, we know that every single thing that he does, every command that he gives us is motivated out of that love. You know, and I used to think that forgiveness was just something that was one of the many commands, you know, one of the things that he calls us to do. But I've come to sense understand that forgiveness is the very heartbeat of the gospel. Without forgiveness, there, without, without um, Jesus dying on that cross, without him hanging there for our sins to take the punishment that we deserved in order to forgive us, from our sin. There is no gospel. See, forgiveness is at the very center of the gospel. And with all of this in, in mind, I really just, God gave me the grace to say yes. And so I began to say yes. And, and really, I didn't even know how to do this, right? You know, God's saying, love your enemy, forgive him. And I'm like, what, how do I do that practically? You know, because I feel, I felt very strongly that there was something that I needed to do. And so I just prayed and really, as I, as I just went through all of scripture, um, I looked up every verse that had to do with forgiveness and loving your enemies. What I saw is in Luke 6, 27 through 28, it says, but I say to, to those who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So I began to just pray for Anthony. That was the first step was to pray for Anthony. And I began to pray good things for him, even though it was completely and totally counterintuitive to everything that I felt inside. It honestly felt wrong to pray good things for this man because he had taken my dad from me. And so it it almost felt like a betrayal of my dad. But I knew that everything that God calls us to do it's, it is the right way, regardless of how we feel. See, our feelings can lead us astray, and we can't rely on our feelings. So that next day, um, I decided to contact the prison to see how I might be able to, to visit Anthony, the man who killed my dad. And, and I really felt like that's what God was calling me to do. I felt like he was calling me to bring him a Bible and to go in there and to speak with him and, you know, face-to-face. Um, so I contacted them, and they actually told me that in order to have visitation, both Anthony and the warden would have to approve, approve that visitation. And I wasn't sure Anthony would do that. Now, I didn't personally know Anthony, but I figured he may <laughs> possibly um, not choose to see me, considering the fact that, you know, I'm the daughter of the man that he killed. So um, I, I sent the first letter. I sent a letter to him, and basically it was a very simple letter, just 
stating that that I wanted to come and see him and that I it wasn't coming in a spirit of vengeance and I asked for him to approve my visitation. And you know what was interesting is that I truly did not think that he would write back. I don't know why I didn't think that he would write back, but he did. He wrote back. But um when I got this letter, so my husband came home one one day after work and he brought me this letter and, and I could see in my husband's eyes that it was no ordinary letter. He looked at me and he said, you've got a letter. And I just, I looked at it and on the back of the envelope was this big stamp that said Northern Nevada Correctional Facility. And my heart just dropped. I mean, I didn't expect this. I, this is not the way that I thought this was going to go. Um, I really, truly just thought that he would approve the visitation and I would go there in person and that was going to be that. So when I got this letter, I mean, I was holding, literally holding something that this man had held. And I was, I didn't even want to touch it. So I looked at my husband and I just said, can, can you just, just, I, I just need a minute. And I just ran upstairs and I sat down on my bed and I kind of just threw the letter in front of me because I didn't even want to touch this. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I said, Lord, just give me the courage to open up this letter. And, and it was given. And I, I, after a little bit, I picked up the letter and I opened it up and I started reading it. And it really didn't say anything crazy. It just said that he would approve my visitation and that he's forever sorry for what he did. But I'm sitting there just picking the whole thing apart, <laughs> you know, as, as we do. And I'm picking the whole thing apart and I'm just like, God, what is this? And I just, I honestly, this was not my plan. This was not the way that it was going to be going. And as I'm picking this whole thing, this whole letter apart, I felt God say to my heart, really a very, a very, a very poignant question. Um, He said, is your truth my truth? And I just sat there kind of just dumbfounded, like, huh, is it? And so I really began to ask myself some really difficult questions. I began to ask, you know, what lies am I believing? What biases have I been taking into this situation? How has my role as the murder victim's daughter colored the way that I view this tragedy? And so I had this box that I called my dad box and I brought it down and on the top of it, there was this, this, uh, just kind of like binder type thing in it. And I pulled it out and inside of there, I literally had taken every single news piece of news coverage, you know, all sorts, anything that pertained to the murder. And I had put it all in there. Um, and really I put it all in there so that when my children grew, I'd be able to, to kind of accurately tell them what, had happened and how it had happened and how it was portrayed to the public, all that kind of stuff. And so I took it down and I started going through it. And I just prayed the whole time. I said, Lord, help me to remove my biases. Help me to see as you see. I didn't want to see as, as my dad saw or as Anthony saw or as, you know, as I saw through, through the eyes of, of pain. But I wanted to see as God saw for the first time. And, you know, I really think that that was the beginning. That really was the beginning of my healing. It was the moment that, that God allowed me to really lay down um, my biases and start to question how I thought about what had happened um, and allow his truth to speak into what had happened. That was really the moment that he humbled me. I mean, God humbled me and that's, we have to be humbled. We have to be humbled. We are not always right, <laughs> you know? And so we have to be humbled. And once he humbled me enough to actually see that my truth is not necessarily the truth, God's truth, that was the moment that, 
really my eyes started opening to, to, to see things as God saw them. So I did respond to Anthony's letter, and the letter started passing back and forth. And at one point, you know, Anthony told me that, it, that if I, I could ask him any question and that he'd answer. And so I wrestled with that. I really was wrestling with, you know, should I ask questions? Should I not ask questions? Should I wait until I'm before him or not? And, and uh, his re- so I, I went ahead and I did ask the questions. And his response to me, he said, wow, do you have any easy questions? And I was so unbelievably angry because, honestly, I just thought, you know, you killed my dad. There really are no easy questions here. <laughs> These are every question that I'm going to have is going to be a difficult question for you to answer. And so, you know, it was, it was rocky. It was just this roller coaster ride. And then I received another, another letter, but this time it wasn't from Anthony. It actually was from the warden, and I was denied the visit. So apparently there's a, um, a policy against victim offender visitation. Now, I don't consider myself a victim. I think that victim mentality is a very dangerous place to be um, as an individual. I think it's destructive for people to have a victim mentality, so I do not consider myself to be the victim. But... Um, there is that policy against victim um, offender visitation. And so they denied my visit. And I was so unbelievably confused because I was a new Christian and I'm reading through scripture and it's saying that, you know, we follow Jesus and the, we're going to, I just, you know, there, I was picking, of course, I was picking out certain scriptures about how your, your path is just going to be straightened and, and it's all just going to fall in place when you're following the Lord. And I was so confused, you know, like why, why aren't all the doors just flying open? I mean, I know what God told me to do. So why, why is this happening? But you know what's interesting is it was in hindsight, it was exactly what needed to happen. God obviously knows what he was doing, you know, I mean, far greater than what we know. And actually in the, the words of Anthony, um, he later wrote that had that visitation happened at this point, then he would have offered a half-hearted, I'm sorry, I would have offered a half-hearted, I forgive you, and neither one of us would have been in a better place for it. You know, we really wouldn't have experienced the healing that God had for both of us. So um, so I was denied, and but we kind of figured, you know, we're in this already. So the letters continued. They continued to go back and forth. And like I said, it was very much a roller coaster ride. And there were times where it would get a little bit easier, and then it would get heated again. And there was this one point where it got extremely heated. And I felt God tell me, Lord, you are no better than him. It was a rebuke. And it was, yes. I, I did have a question, if I can put it in right now. Yes, uh, I, I reread it last week. I was so touched where your dad shared that he had come to Jesus yes. and he was in his life. And then yes. he told Lori, I'm not perfect. I just yes. thought, wow, that you knew that before all of this happened. Yes. I know. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I mean, God, he's just so incredible. I mean, we know that. He's just such an incredible God who works truly all things for such incredible good. And yeah, he saved my dad literally months before he died, which was just incredible. And then, of course, my dad didn't know that he was going to die. And what you're speaking of is, is um, you know, shortly before my dad died, um, we were out to, out to dinner. And he said, Lori, when I die, I want people to remember me for who I am. I don't want anyone turning me into something that I'm not. And I was really stunned by that because we didn't understand what he was talking about and why is he saying this, you know? Um, and, and then he continued, he said, you know, when people die, 
they people only want to talk about the good parts of of that person, but that's not who they really are. There are good parts and bad parts to every one of us. And you know what's so incredible about that is, yes, is that um, you know I really feel like as I was writing the book, God brought that back up into my mind, and I really knew in that moment, without a doubt, that God had Him speak those words to me over a decade before I needed them to give me the freedom to share the story as He leaves. So yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, that was special. Darling, go ahead and continue on, and then if you'll just pray for the audience. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so it, it, we were at this place where it was about, I want to say, eight or nine months in, and, and I got this letter. I received this letter from Anthony, and it was not something. It was not awesome in my mind. <laughs> I was not okay with it. Um, he was justifying his his actions, you know, justifying what he had done to my dad. And he was, he was blame shifting. And obviously that was not sitting well with me whatsoever. And I was so angry and I just sat down. Um, for the first time I sat down and I re- tried to write a response right away. Now, all the way up to this point, I had always taken time because I knew that I literally was walking further and further into enemy territory um, with every step, with every letter that I took, that I wrote. So, so with that, um, I was very, very, very careful um, with how I approached it. And I really wanted, I wanted whatever it was that God Wherever he was leading me, that's what I wanted. And I did, I, was, I did not want to take even one step out of his will. And I still don't <laughs> with any part of my life. So with that, I would just sit, I would get a letter and I would just sit on it and I would pray and pray and pray. And then once I felt, okay, this is how I'm supposed to respond, then I would sit down and I would respond to Anthony. But this time was different. Once I got this letter, um, I was very angry and I sat down and I typed out this response. And I was still mindful about what I said, but I was, it was very much a rebuke and telling him the truth from Scripture, and I was quoting Scripture and all of that. And I printed it out, and I called up my girlfriend, Sarah, and I read it to her, and she's like, that's good. And I was like, I know, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's so prideful, so terrible. It's so terrible how, how we're all just so prone to pride. But um, and in that moment, I knew, you know, I'm holding the letter in my hand, and I knew, though, that that was not the response that God wanted from me. But I was confused as to what he did want from me. And so I took about a month of prayer, and I took a day of fasting, and I went up to Lake Tahoe, which is close to my house, and I just, it was middle of winter time, and I'm just out there with every stitch of clothing that I have, practically in my closet, not really, but, but it's cold. And um, I'm out there, and I'm just crying out to the Lord, saying, what is it? What do you want from me? And shortly after that, he said, Lori, it's time to forgive. Now is the time. And he called me to give. He showed me now is the time that you need to give exactly what I have given to you. See, all the way up to this point, I had been waiting, not on purpose. And honestly, at the moment, I don't think I would have even said this, but I was. I was waiting for Anthony to be where I wanted him to be before that forgiveness was extended. But that's that's not what God called me to. In the midst of that place, when my flesh was rising up and I wanted that little taste of vengeance, I wanted to, to show him, you know, how he was wrong and bring him to truth. And honestly, there was a huge part of me that thought, well, maybe this is exactly what God um, has me in his life for, to bring him this truth. So if I'm not going to say it, how's he ever going to come to know truth, right? So here I am in this place, just 
just um, wanting to rebuke him. And instead, God says, no, now you forgive. And he called me to extend those very things that he, that he had extended to me, that he had given to me, which is forgiveness and love and grace and mercy in the midst of the darkness. And so I sat down and I revised that letter. And at the end of it, I said, we may never see eye to eye, but I do want you to know that I forgive you. And I sent that letter off instead of that first letter. And when he received that letter, when Anthony received that letter, that is what changed him. You know, later on, he told me, Anthony told me that, that um, when he received the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness in the face of kind of his ugly, if you will, um, that's the thing that showed him what it looks like. He said, these are his words, not mine, to to have a, a true relationship with Jesus, and he wanted it. So it was the light that had truly transformed Anthony. You know what's so incredible is that we oftentimes think that that we are going to be the ones to set someone straight and it's going to be be a rebuke. And sometimes it is. Sometimes God does call us to, um, to, to rebuke someone, but more often than not, (laughs) more often than not, we are called to meet darkness with light. Excuse me. And, when we meet darkness with light, that is what stumps people. That's what changes them. That's, that is what it looks like to be the true light of the world. And I didn't do that of my own accord. Of course, if I had done it in my way, I would have give, given that rebuke. But God has shown me a different way, a better way to be human and to meet the darkness with light. And that's when I began to see Anthony transform right before my eyes. And I had changed too. I was able to retire all those happy masks. The irritability was gone. And, and I had new perspective on my past and I began to see God use my past for such incredible good and Anthony um, he went from blame shifting and justifying his actions to taking full responsibility for what he had done and I actually left Anthony with a challenge at one point and I basically said you know just because you're in prison it does not mean that you have wasted your life you can live to the glory of God in prison there and he took that and he also um, he took what I wrote with what I just said. And he also took this other piece that I had written about our testimony. And he read that before his church there within the prison. And I received this letter. And in this letter, Anthony said, your testimony may have saved a life. And I just stood in my kitchen, just sobbing because he, he told me this account of, of, as he was standing there before all of these other inmates, you know, who are there with, this is a, you know, medium security prison, but this is people for, who have done just about everything. You know, murderers are there as well, a lot of murderers, but they're there if they have, you know, good behavior, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And so they're all there. And he said there was not a dry eye in the room, which has been substantiated by some other inmate letters that I've received. And 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 later, one of the inmates came up to him and he said that he had been plotting a murder. Once he got out, he was going to go and kill this other man. He said, because of this this testimony, I have now decided to seek God and forgive instead. And I just was astounded. And I know of so many other situations where God has used our story over the years to minister to other people, to do, to do similar things. There's one other case that I know of um, where, where a possible murder was stopped as well. Um, there, there was a, a murderer who was actually just about to be released, and he came up to Anthony shortly before his release, like, like I'm talking about a month before his release, and he said, is this book about you? He had read the book, and he said, yes. 
And he said, is it possible? Is it possible that God can love even a murderer? And Anthony said, absolutely. And they were out there by the weight pile and Anthony led him to Christ right there. He gave his life to Christ and then he was released back into society. I mean, it's incredible what God has done. There was a mother who had read this story and, and she forgave her son's murderer in, in court as a result of what God has done here in this story. I mean, there's story after story after story after story. It's just absolutely incredible. But, um, you know, and what's so crazy is that I had prayed for this in the very beginning when I didn't know what step to take. And that's just it. It's literally one step after another step after another step that we need to take. God doesn't give us the entire, the entire, um, map, the whole roadmap of where he's leading us. He says, come follow me. And we do have a sense of where he's taking us. We know that where he's taking us is going to be good. But he says, come follow me. And he shows us the next right step. And then we take that step. And then we see the next step that he's, that he's leading us towards. And if we, that, that's what faith is. It's, it's leading, it's following Jesus where we cannot see. It's believing what we cannot yet see is going to actually happen. And I had prayed at the very beginning of this, what I actually prayed, and this is so crazy, I literally prayed that God would completely transform Anthony um, to the extent that he would not only give his life to Christ, but that he would live to to the glory of God in prison, bringing many other inmates to um, Jesus and have lives transformed in there. That was my prayer, my first initial prayer when I began to pray good things for Anthony. And it was this pipe dream prayer. You know, I mean, it was just like this thing where you know God can do it, but it's a pretty big prayer, you know, to transform a murderer in in such a significant way. But God did every single bit of that prayer. He answered every single bit of that prayer. You know, this is the God that we serve. We serve a God who does the impossible, who loves us, who sees us, who sees us in our pain. You know, in Exodus 2.25, it says, quote, it says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He sees us in our pain and he knows. He absolutely knows and he purposes at taking us out of that place and bringing us into a better place, into a place where, you know, we can experience the full and abundant life that Jesus died for us to have. This is Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, um, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this is not something that is for everyone, though. It's for those who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus. So for those who follow Jesus, he literally takes every bit of your pain and he redeems it and he uses it for good. Jesus came to heal. He's our redeemer. But the path toward redemption, it's not an easy one. It requires us to lay ourselves down before God, to take his commands seriously, to not only read the Bible and agree with its precepts and thought, but to actually do the word of God, to do whatever it is that God's calling us to do, even when it doesn't make sense at the time, because believe me, there were people, and even in my own head, where I'm like, this makes no sense. (laughs) But ultimately, he will lead us in those places that don't make sense. And sometimes that's an indication that it's where he's leading us. And this is where redemption begins. It's the moment that we lay down our fear, our pride, our resistance, the moment that we say yes to God. That's when we begin to experience that life and that the life that he intended to give us, a life marked by grace. So, so I truly have witnessed God do the impossible. It's, it's crazy. I mean, absolutely crazy. I've seen him redeem a situation that was without hope, without purpose, and to see him bring good out of evil and love out of hate and peace out of despair. 
despair, and I've seen him work truly all things for good in my life. And if he's done this in my life, I mean, I just am so excited to see what he's going to do in your life as well. So just follow him and trust him and say yes. Have your yes on the table. Even if you're resistant, say yes. Lord God, we just come before you right now, and I pray for every single person who is listening to this program right now, and we give you all honor and glory and praise for what you're about to do in their lives. I pray that they become people who say yes to whatever it is that you call us to do. I pray that whatever pain they have from their past, that you, that they bring that to you, that, that, that they sense that you are actually beckoning them to come, to come and bring that and lay that down at your feet and allow you to redeem that and bring them to this incredibly beautiful and awesome place. Lord, we just love you. And we know that you are a good God who is for us and not against us. We know that you will lead us in such incredible ways. And I pray that you do these crazy, awesome, miraculous things that you do in every one of our lives. We give you all honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Lori, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that journey. And we'll be, uh, we're going to be posting all of your information on so they can look you up and see the things oh, that are going in your life. And we just thank you today for sharing. Oh, thank and you so much for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know so many people are going to have their lives changed from this. So thank you and blessings on your family. And I know oh, thank I, you. So I wanted to ask you one of the time, uh, how are you? Are, are you compa- uh, doing with all your kids and everything, your large family and speaking? Are you just, are you speaking some or, or often or once a month? Or how do you set up your thing? Well, you know what? All the way up to this point. So God launched me on my speaking ministry. I want to say, oh, I want to say it was like, gosh, now it's probably three and a half, four years ago. And, um, and I would, no, actually, I want to say about three years ago, three, three and a half years ago. And at that point, um, it just was, it was, I, it was mainly me just saying, okay, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to just go out there and promote myself, you know, because I don't like that. <laughs> I just don't like that. And so I was just kept on praying, Lord, whatever it is that you would like me to do, whatever engagements you would like me to have, bring it to me. And he really did. He began to just bring me the speaking engagements, which was awesome. So I haven't done too much promotion at this point because I just was kind of in that place. Plus, he had other things that um, he had us doing other things as well, such as the adoption and all that kind of stuff. And our youngest daughter, um, she's the one that we brought home from Uganda. She's actually two and a half. So for the past, and she came home at seven months. So from the time that she came home all the way until now, I really just felt like, you know, I am going to do whatever it is that you call me to do, Lord, but I, I want it to be from you, you know, because I don't want to be too busy and not not be a good mommy and be a good wife. <laughs> so yeah, you, uh, you can't really focus um, and give your whole heart when you're so spread and divided in too many different yes. directions. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I would say at this point, I, um, as far as my speaking ministry goes, um, 
I really feel like, like the Lord has said not more than once a month, but typically I have, I have some smaller things that I do. Like I speak at my church. Um, I do like I'll, I'll, I'll teach Bible study, but I only do it two or three times each semester. So we have two semesters that we do. Um, and then in addition to that, I, I do women's retreats and, and other, you know, other speaking engagements as they come up. I've spoken to, you know, church congregations and things like that. Um, and those bigger events, um, I would say that there's usually anywhere from two to four a year for the bigger ones. So well, I wanted to tell you, sound very wise, but I also wanted to say I really appreciate your testimony because what I was hearing, I was sitting there going, Lord, this is awesome. This is a universal yeah. testimony. I can yeah. give this to Buddhists. I can give this. I'll be like, yeah, hey, I yeah. perfect testimony for you. Here you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. love it. Thank you so very, very oh, much. No, thank and, you uh, so much. Thank you so much for allowing me to to spread it even further. <laughs> so, no, it's it's so incredible. I mean, it's it really is central to the gospel, the the message that he has given me. And, you know, well, I speak I on other you. topics as well. I didn't hear you say but, it, but a thought that I had was Yeah. Uh one of the things when I read your book, you impressed upon me is how you said, um, hold on, there was a point where you said you thought justice was going mm. to, like, make you feel better. You were just wanting mm-hmm. to get to that point. Yeah. I'm going to feel right. better. My life's going to be bad. And as soon yes. as that happened, you felt no different. Right. So that right. was one thing that exactly. stuck out to me. Yes. Well, it's true. It's so true because, you know, I was just talking about this with someone recently and so the thoughts that came to my mind were even a little bit further than what I wrote in the book, but it was just kind of about how we were created in the image of God and God is a just God. And mm-hmm. so our sense of justice is, is very much God given. And so our lack of our, 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 um, our lack of desire to forgive, I think is oftentimes birthed out of that place where we we have we oh. feel like there has oh. to be justice and so if oh, i if yeah. i forgive where's the justice how this person's still not going to be held accountable if that makes sense but ultimately what's interesting is that what we need to understand is that we are not the judge you know we need to step down off the judgment seat allow god to take his rightful place on that judgment seat and and then once he takes that rightful place on that judgment seat, then justice will be served. I mean, it will be served one way or another, you know. And yeah. But it's interesting because I didn't really make that connection earlier about how we are, our sense of justice, our desire for justice really is, it's not a bad thing. It's something that was truly birthed out of our, you know, the fact that we're image bearers. So, yeah. Interesting. It's very, it is. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, ladies, so much. Perfect. And for Julie and Sandra, this is a wrap for Real Cuffs.